Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. What if the circumstances you find yourselves in, which you don't like one bit, which may be genuinely, incredibly painful, but what if the circumstances within which you find yourselves, which is the more grammatically correct way to say it, are the very circumstances that lead you to Christ? What if the circumstances, and the circumstances I'm talking about right now, are those circumstances which we have no control over, which we never would have chosen, which move from challenging to heart-rending, source of no little hurt, those circumstances that we fight against, that we complain about, that we're angry with, resent, hate, and love to escape from. What if those very real and present circumstances that we could name this morning are the very circumstances that lead us to Christ? Would you think differently about them? Would you interpret them differently? Would you navigate them better if you knew they were leading you to Jesus if you knew the Lord was using those to redeem you? I know what we know the answer. I know that we know what the answer should be, but I'd rather us consider the question a bit before we answer it the way we think it should be answered. I'm talking about real storms, real circumstances that are uncomfortable and we wish weren't so. What if they were what if what if those were what were leading us to Christ? It occurred to me in thinking about this question that I thought I should begin the message with this morning, I realized that it might be kind of a litmus test question of how true our devotion and love for our Lord really is. Because sometimes I think, I th- sometimes I think we think or wish or we hope that by serving Christ, he will save us from hardship. Instead of serving Christ for his sake, even if it means hardship. Right? So I'm going to ask again, what if the genuinely difficult and painful circumstances of our lives are leading us to Christ? Would it change our interpretation? Would we navigate them better if we believed they were working for our redemption, indeed taking us right to the Lord? And you know where this is coming from. It's coming from the text that we read this morning. It's coming from the gospel. It could have come from the Old Testament reading, but it's coming from the gospel. Another really familiar story, so familiar to us, which we have heard so often. How many sermons have we heard preached from Peter in the boat? We think we know what's going on here. and Kind of like the feeding of the 5,000 is this story, right? And it may, it may be about what we have heard, but it may not be about what we have heard, or it may be about more than we have heard. So here we go. We quote unquote know the story. Here we go. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 plus. He had gone to the wilderness after hearing the news about the dishonorable death of John, his cousin, his co-laborer, his friend, the one who had gone before him and made the way straight, who was among the first to confess Jesus as Lord and Messiah only from the womb. In response to the news of John's death, Jesus had gone into the wilderness alone. And the dismissed his disciples 
dismiss the crowd. And the crowd followed him there, indeed got there ahead of him, denying Jesus what he so dearly longed for, which was time alone with his heavenly father. And Matthew told us this is what happened instead. We read this last week. When, Ma- when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Ignoring his own very real and legitimate need to tend to himself to be with his father, he tended to the needs of those around him instead. Of course he did. And then the disciples showed up and told Jesus to do what Jesus was most likely quite tempted to do anyway. Send the people away, they said, because we have no food. And then Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples didn't have any idea how that could happen, didn't know it was a possibility, didn't know they could, but they followed Jesus' direction, and lo and behold, those disciples who had so little to offer fed 5,000-plus people with 12 basketfuls of more food left over. So the disciples didn't feed that crowd out of their abundance. They fed that crowd out of their poverty. It wasn't the wilderness that prevented the ministry. It was the wilderness that made it possible. It wasn't their lack that prevented them from ministry, it was their lack that empowered them. Jesus empowered them through their lack. So now what? Jesus is still in need of being alone with his father. Nothing had changed. And he's still processing, mourning the absolute senseless death of John, foreshadowing his own future. So Jesus mandated that the disciples go back across the lake and leave him alone. And he gave them no option other than to do what he said. Matthew 13, 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And that's a really important detail in the story. Evidently, getting into the boat at that time of day or evening or night and heading back across the lake was not the disciples' idea. Now, we don't know if the weather was inclement. We don't know if the disciples would have preferred to stay with Jesus. I'm thinking they probably would have preferred to stay with Jesus, but it wasn't their choice to go back across the lake. It was Jesus' choice. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat so that, so he could pray. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Yes, of course he did. He was Jesus. Jesus prayed, and he needed to pray. No surprise here, Jesus is the prayer. This is a bit of a tangent to the message, but it's in the text, so I have to stop and ask another question. And this may be more important than the first one, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking to followers of Jesus, I'm talking to those imitators of Christ, those who claim his name, who go by his name, how often do we do that, suspend all other activity for the sake of praying? Here's my conviction about prayer. The single most revealing activity regarding our relationship with the Lord is our prayer life. That's my conviction. And the reason I say that, the short calculus for that statement is this. If we believe Jesus loves us, and he does, and if we love him as we say we do, then we will want to spend some time with him. We spend time with those we long to be with, with people we love, even if we're not saying anything. I don't like it when Debbie's not home, even if she's in the kitchen and I'm in the study and we're not even in the same room. I still like it, her there. Folks, salvation is not a transaction. I've got the ticket, I've said the prayer. That's not salvation. 
Salvation is a relationship because that's the point of salvation is the relationship. The point of redemption is fellowship with the creator of all things. And I don't know any relationship that can survive without tending to that relationship. Furthermore, I am fully convinced that the effectiveness of college church's ministry and mission in our world, and for that matter of any church, to our world, I'm fully convinced that the effectiveness of a church's ministry and mission to the world is contingent, first of all, on the collective prayer life of the people. And the reason I say that and the short calculus for that statement is this. If we really believe that this is the Lord's work that we are invited into, then we'll be asking the Lord to do the work. Through us for sure, but from him. Please know, prayer is, it's, it's, it's simply conversation with God. That's all it is. Which is simply talking and then listening. So a year ago, we opened the sanctuary up for prayer from 7.30 till about 4.30. And Monday, Pastor Jen opens the sanctuary at 7.30. On Tuesday, I open the sanctuary for prayer. On Wednesday, Pastor Jesse opens the sanctuary for prayer. On Thursday, Brad does. And on Friday, Jeff Bell does. And we are here for the first 45 minutes or so in the prayer. And the staff is in the sanctuary throughout the week praying. And I extended an invitation for the church to participate in that. But I I did that knowing full well these two things. You can pray at home. You can pray at home. I know you can pray at home. I mean, Jesus said, get a closet and pray at home. And I also know it's just not possible for some of us. I mean, our schedules, I mean, we're not in the neighborhood. We're not in the area. So I know not everybody can do it, and I know we can pray at home. But the reason I opened this sanctuary for prayer Monday through Friday is because I became convicted about college church being known as a house of prayer because that's what Jesus wanted for the, for the places where his people gathered. He wanted them to be houses of prayer. He wanted the temple to be a house of prayer. I would, and I, I, I think one of, one of college church's DNA messages ought to be you can go there and pray. And what a light if people from the community knew that they could come in here and pray. And furthermore, the reason I invited you to do it is because it's more likely we'll pray if we come to a specific place to pray. And the reason I invited you to participate is because this place is pretty conducive to prayer. Personal confession testimony. I pray more and better when I'm here than when I pray anywhere else. It just is easier. And it's been a game changer. Now, here's what will happen if you do that. You'll come in here, and you'll sit for about five weeks, and you'll say everything you need to say, and then you'll sit here, and you'll think, why did I come all the way here? I'm done praying. i got nothing left to say. That's what will happen. And your mind will wander, and you'll start praying, and your mind will wander, and you'll think of all the other things you're not doing because you're praying. Uh, So for those who are interested, here's how you start praying, and here's how you stay praying for that matter. You just pray what the disciples prayed. Lord, teach me to pray. Begin every prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. And those who participate are discovering how to pray. And sometimes it's just sitting in the presence of the Lord without saying a word like we do with our loved ones. It's transformative. 
And the call is, is, is sufficient. The call is demanding enough that we do need the Lord to do his work in us. We can't do this by ourselves. We need the conscious knowledge of him working in us. And so, there'll be somebody here in the morning and staff throughout the day, throughout the week. And there'll be the prayer panel on a post right there and there'll be the bulletin with the scripture readings and there will be a reason we're calling you to pray. And this week I'm calling the church to pray for the children of our church and I'm praying, I'm asking the church to pray for the kids in Kidsland and the list of the names of all the children are in Kidsland. And so this week when you come to the sanctuary to prayer sometime, then go down to the Kidsland. The lights are gonna be on and the kids' names are on the walls. Do you think these parents don't need some help raising these children in this world? Imagine, imagine if every parent knew that 50 to 100 of the people they worship with were praying by name for their children. If you want to know how, what your relationship with the Lord is like, ask yourself how often are you in communication with him? Some of us are practical atheists because we never talk. Here's how you start praying. Lord, teach me to pray. So, Matthew 14, 23, after he dismissed them, after Jesus dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray because, of course, he's Jesus. And then Matthew told us, tells us, later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the winds because the wind was against it. Well, what do you know? Jesus is on solid ground in fellowship with his father while his disciples are in a boat fighting against wind and waves because that's where Jesus sent them. Because it was Jesus who made them get into the boat and cross the lake. I wonder what the disciples were thinking in the, out in the middle of that storm while Jesus is on solid rock ground praying. I mean, the only reason they're in the middle of the lake in the first place is because Jesus sent them. He sent them into the storm. Jesus would never do that. Well, he did. He sent them into the storm. So we know the story. Shortly before dawn. So how long has been Jesus on the mountain? Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. The Greek is just I am. As in I am that I am. The presence of Jesus is the peace. And I want you to notice something. Jesus hasn't quieted the wind and the waves yet. It's still a storm. It's still a storm. And it was in the storm, while the storm was still raging, when Jesus told them to take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It was in the middle of the storm, with the storm no sign of abating, that Jesus said, don't be afraid. In the middle of the storm. I mean, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna end the storm, but the disciples don't know that. They don't know that he could do that. We're not sure he knew that they could, he could do that. No, it was while the storm was still raging that Jesus said they could take courage. It was while the storm was still raging that Jesus said, don't be afraid. Be courageous, not afraid, because he was there. The person and presence of Jesus is the peace. That's the peace. And one of the best evidences of the life of Christ within us is the peace we possess in the middle of a storm. Because it can't be explained away other than the presence of Christ. 
Well, we know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is Peter's loss of faith because we run right to the end. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out and said, Lord, save me. Yes. So here we go. Here's the narrative. We run right to the end of the story. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, revealing his lack of faith and is once again the bad example. So the message of this story is don't be like Peter. And in fairness to that interpretation of this story, Jesus did reprimand him, I think he reprimanded him, I don't know with the tone, but Jesus did say, you know, he reached out his hand and caught him, you a little faith, he said, why'd you doubt? Right, so that kind of supports the don't be like Peter thing. But can I say this before we get to the end of the story? Can I say this? At least Peter had a little faith. A little faith. And the reason I say that is because of what the other disciples are doing, right? Which is what? Where are the other disciples? They're still on the boat. And you've heard me say this. At least Peter got out of the boat. At least he did something he could fail at. The only reason the other disciples didn't sink into the waves is because they never left the boat. Well, what heroes are they? I mean, if the message of this story is don't be like Peter, at least we should include this one as well. But don't be like the other disciples more. At least Peter got out of the boat. But there's more to this story, and the next part is what prompted the question I asked at the beginning of the message, and here's what I think we need to hear today. And it's maybe a detail we often overlook because it's so obvious. You do know that the storm was still raging when Peter got out of the boat. That's how much he wanted to see Jesus. That's how much he wanted to see Jesus. I mean, it was Peter who asked if he could go. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. If it's you, tell me to come to you. And as Jesus said, yes, of course, and invited Peter to come, but it was Peter who asked. And frankly, I don't know how you walk on water to start with, but I really don't know how you walk on water that's moving. I don't know how you walk on water that's waves. I mean, it's hard to swim with waves. It's hard to walk on a trampoline. How in the world do you walk on, 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 a, on waves in a storm? I mean, we'll have to ask him when we see him, right? How did you do that? I mean, you know, piston legs or something. I don't know how you do that. But here's what I don't want us to miss. Peter was so wanting to be with Jesus, he was willing to walk into the storm to get there. Yeah, he sank when he took his eyes off Jesus, when he looked around at the circumstances. Yeah, we know this story. And yes, Jesus reprimanded Peter for looking first at the circumstances and not at him. And we've heard that message. But here was what else is true. And here's another detail that we miss sometimes because it's so obvious. When Peter started to sink, do you know what he didn't do? He didn't try to get back in the boat. He didn't turn around. He didn't try to get back in the boat. And he, and he didn't even try starting, he didn't even start trying to swim. He's a fisherman, he knows how to swim. He didn't even start swimming. When he lost faith and started to sink, even then he asked Jesus to save him. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. When he first started sinking, he didn't try to save himself. He asked Jesus to save him even then. He was still facing Jesus. And taking his eyes off of Jesus so much that he didn't know who his savior was. 
he was still moving toward Jesus even as he was sinking. Peter was so wanting to be with Jesus, he was willing to walk through the storm to get there. And when he started sinking, he still called to Jesus. Oh, let's be like Peter. So when we see Peter and ask him about, you know, how'd you, how'd you walk on waves? I think he, if we asked him some more questions, I think we might know the answers. I think if we asked him, are you glad for that day in the boat, Peter? Are you glad Jesus made you go? And, and Peter, are, are you glad you got out of the boat even though you sank? Peter, was it, was it worth it? I think we know the answer. I think Peter would have rather had been made to get into the boat and be in the boat in the storm and even jump out of the boat while the storm was still raging. And I think he might have rather even sunk beneath the waves for this reason because it still took him to Jesus. Peter was so wanting to be with Jesus, he was willing to walk through a storm to get there. Because that's the rest of the story. So Jesus and Peter climbed into the boat. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And this is what happened next. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. And folks, none of that would have happened if there hadn't been a storm. None of that would have happened if there hadn't been a storm. Folks, what if the circumstances we find ourselves in, which circumstances we don't like one bit, which may be genuinely painful, what if the circumstances within which we find ourselves are the very circumstances that lead us to Christ? What are the circumstances, and I'm talking about the circumstances over which we have no control, which we never would have chosen, which are at the least challenging, but at the most heartbreaking those circumstances that we fight against, complain about, or angry with, even resent and frankly hate and would love to escape from? What if those very real and present circumstances that we could name this morning are the very circumstances that are leading us to Christ? Now, folks, there's no what if. They are. They can. They could. So here's the message, and I tried to get it in six words or seven words, but it's 13 words. Let the storm you are in lead you to the Christ who is. Let the storm you are in lead you to the Christ who is. The person and presence of the Lord is our peace. guess what 
He's given us a sign of his presence. He comes to us today. He's going to come to you today, right where you are in the middle of the storm you're in. He's going to come to you today. And he said, you know, they're going to need a reminder. They're going to need to be reminded of this often because they forget so easily. And so we need to kind of create a tangible way of indicating my presence to them. And so we'll, so my followers, when they gather to eat bread, which is my body poured out for them, and I want my followers to drink wine, juice, so that they might know that I live in them, that I am with them. And so this morning, we are going to receive the sacrament as the promise of Christ's presence to us today. Where we are, no promise of the storm ending, but boy, he's in the middle of it. And we're going to confess, Lord, give me the faith to embrace the storms if they lead me to you. Give me the faith to embrace the storms that lead me to you. to us today. Would you share the sacrament with a neighbor? Even if you already have it, just share it. This is a communal meal we eat together. We take the bread first and we take the juice next and we do it all together. And we receive tangible evidence of the incarnate Lord being present to us this morning. He comes to us in the flesh still. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, we have been invited by you to this table. What a gracious invitation we have received. And Lord, uh, we need we need this sign of your presence to us. We need this sign of your presence within us, of your Holy Spirit within us, Lord, because we are so inclined to go it alone. We're so inclined to not believe you're present to us. And so thank you for this gift of this sign of your promise of your presence. Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this juice, Lord, may we, may it do its work in us and may it empower us and enable us to confess that it is you we long for, even if it is a storm that we have to go through to get to you with. May we desire you more than we desire anything or anyone else. And so, Lord, empower us, enrich us, enable us, enliven us, revive us, sanctify us by your Spirit as we receive this pledge of your presence from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnet, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.